You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Man, 2020 has been a punk. <laughs> we just got to stay strong, church, and, and hold on to Jesus. I just love the worship. Uh, you know, if you're like uh, our home church, we usually fast forward through the worship and get right to the word. Not because we don't like worship. It's just a little awkward sometimes in a smaller gathering to everybody just kind of watch a television uh, in terms of worship. And so I would encourage you to circle back around at some point uh, personally and just watch um, and worship uh, together with the worship service today. I think it's a really important kind of prophetic type of worship uh, moment for us as a church. So make sure to do that. Also, I wanted to give you a reopening, kind of a regathering plan. Starting next week, we're going to have home churches begin to gather together here with us, as well as those that are online. Um, They'll probably be here about once a month, each home church. And uh, so if you're not in a home church, the quickest way to like get back into the building, if that's something that you desire, is get into home church. And uh, I want to encourage you to check out our website and uh, you can get more information there about what what groups are available at westsidehome.org. And uh, if you like to start a group that we would love that we can help you do that and so uh, again more information is on the website regarding starting a group as well so I want to encourage you to do that we have right now we've have 86 home church leaders 47 groups are active and uh, many are open to new people as well so uh, well let's dive in you know I was uh, about two weeks ago I was up um, at Mount Bachelor I took the ski lift up to the lodge I do this about once a year where I get up there and I just study I kind of get away from the noise of everything and and, uh, and try to get closer to Jesus. And, um, and so I was studying uh, for this particular message and next weekend's message, kind of a two-part series on the relationship between our faith and politics. And, and so I decided when I, when I got up to the, to, the, um, to the lodge, I decided I had never hiked up to the top of Mount Bachelor. So I decided, why not? You know, I mean, it was a beautiful day. The smoke still wasn't in the area or anything. And so I decided to take, um, to go up to the top of Mount Bachelor. And it's about a 2,000, about 2,100 foot climb from the lodge up to uh, the summit. And, uh, and so I was about halfway up uh, that climb. Um, and I was just thinking about this, this message. I was thinking about this series. And I really felt like the Lord said this to me. He said, why are you calling this message in? And uh, just a little backstory about that. Like, why would God say that to me is I was planning on pretty much preaching Andy Stanley's two-part message on, on the relationship of faith and politics to our church these two weekends. I had it all mapped out. It was ready to go. Um, I really respect uh, Stanley. He had a lot of great things to say, but Jesus called me on borrowing a message for our church specifically from somewhere else. And that Jesus challenged me to, and so the rest of the hike, I was like, God, what do you want to say to Westside Church in this moment? What is your fresh word of life to us as a congregation? You know, everything in our, everything in our culture is being politicized right now from uh, school openings to church openings to mass protests You've probably heard the phrase cancel culture, right? Um, Where the idea that if someone says something that you don't agree with or that you don't like, then you discount everything that person has ever said or believed in. Um, And this cancel culture has made its way into the church. There's a line that's that's been drawn and and, and you all see it, we all see it, that if you're a Democrat, you certainly can't be a Christian. Or if you're going to support Trump, you definitely aren't a Christian. I mean, there's this, there's this polarization that's entered into the church. 
Last, uh, last week, my wife and I met with uh, two uh, couples, elders in our church, who had some concerns about the direction of our church and our culture and wanted to talk about it. And, and in the meeting that we had with them, it was such a life-giving, love-filled meeting. Um, there was a word that was shared, a vision, actually, that one of the elders had received from the Lord. And it was a vision of a foundation a uh, concrete kind of concrete foundation. I was standing on top of it and there were cracks that began to form in the concrete and, 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 and these cracks began to widen and, and they, they continued to widen until they were huge chasms kind of throughout this foundation. And then, and then, and then he said, and then I saw you, Steve, uh, you had fallen into one of the chasms and you were hanging on for dear life on the, uh, just hanging onto the rock for dear life, like this about to fall into one of the chasms. And then, and then, the vision was over. I was like, that's it. That's all you got, you know? Um, but it actually was extremely encouraging to me to be able to identify what's going on in our church right now, that there are cracks that have formed because of disunity. There are cracks that have formed because of the polarization that we have allowed to enter into our church. And I'm deeply concerned about the division that I see not just in Westside, but in the body of Christ at large, because of these issues, the current political climate. I've seen friends become enemies. I've seen families torn apart. I've seen loving, good people become mean people. I love what Pastor Randy, our president, who was here last weekend, I hope you got to see that message and enjoy his word to us. And he wrote a letter to all the churches in our denomination just a couple of weeks ago. And this is what he wrote. Beyond our organizational, organizational and fiduciary health, I care deeply about the mental and physical well-being of our pastors and leaders. Do you know that um, some statistics say that only that one out of every five pastors will quit during this time. And that's actually a pretty low estimate. My, just my connection with pastors, I think it's gonna be more than that. The COVID-19 quarantine, as well as economic uncertainty, political acrimony, social unrest, and issues of racial inequity and matters of injustice have caused exhaustion, confusion, frustration, and pain for so many. People are arguing about all of this. They're arguing about what's true. They're arguing about what's next. They're arguing online, in homes, and at public protests. It's happening in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before. Those arguments have also entered the church, threatening its spirit born unity. The church has a unique opportunity to shine as a countercultural movement, showing a nation split between red and blue that there is a third way. We are the embodied life of Jesus. We are a new humanity, telling the world that we are Jesus' disciples by the way we love one another. We are blessed when we are peacemakers. We are sent as ambassadors of reconciliation. We work toward redemptive solutions as we boldly minister the truth of Jesus. He is our wonderful counselor and the one who heals all our diseases. Jesus brings clarity, restoration, and life alongside which comes health. Jesus needs to be the center of our conversation. I believe here at Westside, we have an opportunity. I, I've, I, I've realized something over these last several months, something I think I always knew, but has become very apparent is that because we have so many ideological diversity in our church, we, there, there, you would be surprised at the, the beliefs of people that, that attend Westside Church with you, that are part of Westside Church that you don't agree with. Just the, the diversity ideologically that we have in our church. We have an opportunity because of that 
to model something for our community. And here's what we can model. We can disagree politically, but love unconditionally. Let me just say that again. I'm going to hear it a few more times. We can disagree politically, but with love unconditionally. Now, I just want everybody to take a deep breath. Go ahead. Take a deep breath right now. This is not easy conversation. This is not an easy topic for us. This idea to love unconditionally, even when we disagree politically, especially in the environment that we live in. So these next two weekends, I just want to talk simply about another way. Another way between the relationship of our faith and our politics. And I want to cast a vision for Westside, who we will be in this increasing disunifying culture, what, who God has called us to be, how he's called us to live another way, to love and, and, and be unified even amidst diversity politically. We must. Otherwise, I believe the church will continue to fracture. I was thinking about the early church. I was thinking about all the, the diversity that existed in the early church um, uh, ideologically. They, they were, they were, it was birthed out of a Jewish movement, but then uh, pork-eating Gentiles came along and began to accept Jesus. And there was this clash between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, I think about the Samaritans that were invited into the kingdom, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, another example, people who had different ideas about religion, about uh, Judaism, about Rome, they were all invited into this community. You see the dispute in Acts chapter six of, of a certain group not getting the same treatment as another group. You see it in Acts chapter 10 when Peter refuses to minister to a Gentile family. You see it in Acts 15 when this, 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 um, this conflict between Jew and Gentile kind of comes to a head and, and, and we see it today. And so what does Jesus do for us in this moment is he prays for us. He prays for his church because he knew that it would be made up of people from very different walks of life who think differently, who grew up differently, who have different ideas about politics and how this nation should be ran, etc. And, and this is what he says. He prays. I do not ask He's, he's talking to his father. I do not ask for these only, these disciples that were sitting kind of right in front of him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That's you and me. Jesus is praying for you and me. That they what? That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Now listen, uni unity does not mean uniformity. I think we, we used to think this idea that we all had to believe the same, exactly the same, agree on everything politically, relig religiously, even theologically. But I, I, I got pastor friends that we, we, are, we have vastly different beliefs about what the Bible says. And I'm just telling you that that's not what Jesus was after. He was not after after uniformity. He was not after everybody believe exactly the same thing. He was after connection, communion, koinonia, fellowship, oneness. Years later, John would reflect on, um, on the teachings of Jesus and he would write these words in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. 
Whoever keeps his word, John says, whoever keeps Jesus' word in him or her, truly the love of God is perfected. So if we keep God's word, if we do what he asks us to do, the love of God is perfected in our action toward one another. By this, we may know that we are in him, right? Jesus' prayer that we may be in him. Whoever says that he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. This is important. See, when we follow Jesus and do what he commands, the love of God is made complete. In essence, God's love is perfected as, and matured as we live out his love with others, especially when we do this with people we don't agree with. I mean, imagine that. In the world, in the context that we live in, that, uh, that, that a group of people would choose to love each other regardless of our differences. Verse seven, he goes on, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Love each other as I have loved you. That's Jesus, John, John chapter 13. Love each other as I have loved you. That's the commandment. Verse nine, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We, church, we have been blinded. And I'll talk more about this because of idolatry next week. I'll talk about this next week. We have been blinded because of our idolatry. And Jesus wants to remove the blinders starting today that cover our eyes towards our love for each other and welcome us back into this amazing life that he has for us. And then look at verse, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. I'm kind of getting into next week just a little bit here. But if anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, which is to love, abides forever. It's uh, pretty smoky in here. We didn't have the smoke machine on today. It's just the smoke. Like I said, next week, I'm going to talk more about the things that we love in this world and how they've, they probably have too much importance in our lives and how, and how they get in the way of doing the one thing that Jesus told us to do and prayed that we would do to love each other. But the New Testament makes clear that the litmus test for living under the canopy of God's word isn't holiness or morality or even following the Ten Commandments. It's how we love each other. God's love for us is most fully expressed in our love for others. To quote Paul, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Do you remember um, these magnets that we handed out at the beginning of the year? Does any of you, did any of you have it still on your refrigerator? Um, that's okay if you don't. This isn't a shame thing. It's just, I just was curious. This is, says, what does love 
require? What does love require in my relationships? What does love require in my politics? What does love require of me? See, I don't believe that loving God and loving people always requires that you change your political views in order to get along with other people. True love is getting along with people with whom you don't agree with on everything politically or otherwise. Loving unconditionally, even when we disagree politically. So what does this, what does this mean for us? What, how do we like apply this? I, uh, Jim Stevens, another elder in our church, uh, has a daily devotional called Grace Notes. And in it, he recently wrote this, these words. Reading the things folks post on Facebook and tweet on Twitter to and about people they don't like, it seems like 20 centuries of being Christian hasn't really changed us all that much. Seeing how people dislike and disdain others who are different from them or have different political views and then labeled different as enemy leads me to think that our religion isn't making us much like Jesus. Those who heard Jesus' teaching and did what he said were transformed by love. They gave up earth for heaven to bring heaven to earth. Those who heard his teaching and said, no, we're going to love people who are like us and hate people who aren't like us, became the mob that chanted, crucify him, crucify him. See, all of this, it's, a, it's about allowing Jesus to change us, not to just change our views. That's not what he's after, but he's after changing our hearts and how we respond to those around us to become more like him and how we engage politically means that we will love each other through our differences and how we talk to our neighbor and how we live with our family. And I'm not saying we shouldn't engage politically. I'll talk more about that next week. But what I am saying is that there is a way to engage in conversation around politics. There is a way to engage in activism that is closer to the way of Jesus than what I've been seeing lately. See, Paul helps us know how to engage in difficult conversations. Back to Galatians chapter 5, especially around issues of disagreement. In Galatians 5, Paul writes um, some strong words to the church about how to live in the power of the Spirit, how to live out the love of God with one another. And in Galatians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse, uh, verse um, 19, he describes what, what are some of the signs of the of, of the where you're letting um, your sinful desires or your sinful nature guide you. In verse 19, he says, here's some works of the flesh. And he lists a bunch of them. I'm just going to highlight a few that I think are um, apparent uh, in this moment in our culture, in our church. Uh, verse 20, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. And then Paul gets to the heart of 
how we do this. In Galatians 5, verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and this is in opposition to the works of the flesh that are in our lives, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then some, some commentators believe that, that sh there should be like a period there, and then the rest of these describe the essence of love, how love expresses itself uh, in our relationships. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Meaning there's no, you can't, you can't, there's no, there's no like counter attack on these things. There's no, there's nothing like says, if you leave the, live this way, that you'll end up worse than, than how you start. There's nothing that, that he's saying, there's nothing against these. There, you can live this life and you can stand with integrity in your relationships. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, he goes on, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And this is a constant, by the way, daily, every day crucifying um, idolatry in our hearts, enmity, um, strife, jealousy, dissension, division, rivalries. It's, it's a daily d um, crucifying these actions that want to rise up. It's every day waking up and asking the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our life. Not, these are the natural outcomes of what love requires. And self-control, right? Self-control is one of those things. Anyone ever experienced the satisfaction of, of letting loose on social media and just destroying someone else's argument? Isn't that fun? Doesn't that feel so good when you're like, man, I made, oh. And it is so wrong. It is so counter to the way of Jesus to get our way, to make sure that our point comes across to make sure that people who disagree with us are, are ridiculed publicly. Come on, that's not the way of Jesus. It's quite the opposite. <laughs> I'll talk more about that next week. I'm just reminded of how important it is for the people of God who say Jesus is Lord to let his prayer and command be answered in our lives. To love one another. I believe that the church will win or lose, not based on who wins or loses an election in November, but on how we love one another between now and then. It's not being unified around a political agenda, but being unified around a command, the command of Jesus to love each other as we have been loved by him. Well, when I was hiking up uh, Bachelor, it was it I, it was about 8,200 feet because I remember looking at my phone because um, it was a certain point on the hike where I could stop hearing the traffic on Century Drive, and um, and I just kind of I, I kind of sat there for a moment um, and just listened to the silence um, until that Harley rode. Man, you can hear Harley at 9,000 feet. I'm just saying those things are loud, but respect Harley guys, respect. But anyway, about 8,200 feet. I that was that was when silence entered my domain. And I think that's one of the reasons Jesus often went to a high place to get away and to pray is to get above the noise. And I'm convinced, church, I am convinced that I, as one of your leaders in this 
congregation can't truly hear Jesus or represent his way or walk according to his spirit when my life is full of everything else. When I allow so much noise into my heart, it's, it's almost impossible to hear Jesus. And I know that's true for each of us. That we've, you know, we're, we're inundating our lives with, I mean, hour on hour upon hour of news and social media that's all so negative and so anti each other. And, 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 then, and then how much time do we spend in his word or how much time do we spend in his presence? How much time do we spend in prayer? And it's just, it's the, the, there's no balance in this. There's this, this way like, oh, I mean, there's no way that Jesus can have his way in our life until we give him more time and space to speak in our lives. I will always have trouble loving my brother or sister who I disagree with politically unless I've spent time with Jesus privately. Pastor Bo created a really cool resource um, on her website. It's called Soul Space and it's called Finding Peace in Political Uncertainty. It's a really amazing resource that you can, um, uh, it's free by the way, and it's going to help each of us take our thoughts captive and focus our prayers on a biblical perspective. And you can sign up for that that devotional at peaceinuncertainty.com. Just go to that website and it'll give you all the instructions about how to to download that that resource. I encourage every, every Westsider to do that. This week, let's spend some time in prayer. I, I believe it will help your anxiety level. I believe it will invite the presence of Jesus. It will help you get above the noise. Again, peaceinuncertainty.com. Well, let me, let me finish up. Um, as you can imagine, as I was listening to that word about hanging on for dear life, over the chasm of disunity, that is growing in our church. I was reminded this week that those gaps can be filled by the cross of Christ. That the beams that Jesus, his hands and his feet were nailed upon can become the bridges by which we connect relationally. They can give us a path toward reconciliation and relationships. Sacrificial love is the pathway for reconciliation. Laying my life down for another. I'm so glad that Lindsay read Psalm 62 this morning, holding on to the rock. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not just hanging on to a, some just, you know, just like, oh, oh no, no, what's gonna happen? I'm hanging on to Jesus. I'm holding on to him. And I'm not going to let go. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. And if you hold on to Jesus today, if you grab onto him, no matter what's going on around your life, in your life, within your family, all of that, Jesus can sustain you and hold you up. He can help you love each other past our differences. He can help us to show the world what loving unconditionally, even when we disagree politically, looks like. A couple years ago, I started saying a phrase that I said so often. I must have said it a bunch because a lady in our church, a staff person, she um, embroidered a framed picture of the words that I said, I guess, over and over and over again. And I, and I put it in my office. It's, it's been in my office for the last couple of years. And and it just reminds me 
of what's most important in this life. That Jesus first, Jesus last, Jesus always. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we look to you today. Our eyes, Lord, are tempted to look in other directions for hope and peace. We're even worried and anxious about this election and, 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 and that if one side gets elected or the other side gets elected, it's going to devastate our nation. And Lord, our eyes are off of you when we, when we allow ourselves to go down that pathway. Lord, that our eyes need to help our eyes to redirect themselves to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that, we, that, that you would enliven Westside, Westsiders to live according to the spirit that we put to death the, the sins of the flesh and rise to the level that the spirit of God is calling us to live into, to love unconditionally, to walk in peace and self-control and gentleness and kindness and goodness all of our days, especially in these days. Lord, I pray for every Westsider who's struggling, Lord, with, with, with anxiety and frustration and anger. And Lord, I pray that right now, your Holy Spirit would come in and bring conviction and comfort. And all of our eyes, Jesus, would turn toward you today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hey, you guys, we have some home church questions that'll be up in just a moment. And uh, next week, we're going to talk about how we engage politically as Christians. And I hope you can join us uh, for that message as well. God bless you guys. Have a great week and have a great conversations in your home churches.